At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Jake Mace of Longevity Gardens in Tempe to chat about two very interesting topics. Humanity's global future is local and three ways to ensure that your fruit trees thrive. Jake Mace is the vegan athlete, runs Longevity Gardens in Tempe with his wife Pam, and is one of the most passionate food advocates that I know. Given that, this is Jake's third visit to the Urban Farm Podcast. He was our lucky show number one interviewee, and then again he came back for episode 33 to talk about wood chips and his 10 favorite fruit trees to grow. I love having Jake on the show because there's always so much to chat about and he's always working on some new project in his yard. Welcome to the show today, Jake. Hey, Greg. It's great to be on. I really enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the third time we've had you on the Urban Farm Podcast. And a big part of the reason that I like bringing you onto the podcast is because there's always so many interesting things to chat about. And today when I asked you, hey, Jake, you got any topics we can talk about? You, you came up with two very interesting but seemingly far away topics. And they are humanity's global future is local and three ways to ensure your fruit trees thrive. So let's jump in. Let's talk about this notion of humanity's global future is local. What, what do you mean by that? You know, at first glance, I think that these two topics you know, may sound far apart, but to me, they're, they're linked so tightly. And so when I say that the global humanity, their future is local, what I mean is that, you know, people taking responsibility for their own food choices taking responsibility for their own power, taking responsibility for their own lives by doing things out of their home. That has the ability to greatly impact everybody. And that's why we have 28 solar panels on the roof of our house. That's why we have about 250 edible fruit trees and several uh, thousand square feet of garden space that all feeds myself, my wife, and my animals here at home. Wow. Um, so for the, for the listeners that this is their first time hearing you, tell us about your yard. So my yard is kind of in the Phoenix area. We're in a small city right next to Phoenix, kind of by Arizona State University. And uh, we have about a third of an acre. And our yard, uh, we have decided to do an edible landscape. So the front yard and the backyard, we're trying to create a permaculture-based food forest in which everything is either medicinal, edible, or a pollinizer attractor in some way, mm-hmm. that we can walk out into the front and backyard, and every single week out of the year, we could have something delicious, healthy, and ripe. Nice. So how much food are you actually getting from your yard? 
it's it's hard. Uh, it's more every single year, so it's hard to estimate because I do like to go out to a good restaurant every once in a while and hit Chipotle. You know, I'm, I'm a normal human like anybody else. Yeah. But at the same time, right now, for instance, it's mulberry season. Oh and yes, is it God, ever? It is. It's uh, beginning of April, and in Phoenix area, we have about um, four or five different varieties of mulberries, from Pakistani to Peruvian to, to white Pakistani to ever-bearing. Mm-hmm. And they all taste different, and they all have different shapes and sizes and colors. And I'm able to go out there and put about you know, you know, a cup or more of mulberries every single day for the past month on my cereal in the morning time. It's one of my favorite breakfasts. Nice. So nice. I did an experiment about a month ago where I did about I did a business week. I did Monday through Friday, uh-huh. and I only ate out of my yard 100% of the time. Whoa, really? Yeah, I was eating about three meals a day and snacks, and it was a combination of having a zucchini that we would julienne and make a zucchini pasta with fresh homemade marinara sauce. It was epic stir fries. It was amazing smoothies in the morning time. We even made our own kimchi and our own pickles wow 100 percent out of the yard uh-huh. and i gotta say that experiment was only difficult because i was trying to film everything for my vegan athlete youtube crowd and i just couldn't get the camera on every meal oh so right the, hardest part for me. <clears throat> the other hard part was the emotional attachment i think like the mental spiritual emotional attachment i have to eating out uh-huh. you know Oh, yeah. No, I got so that after one completely. the third or fourth day, I started feeling like I needed to just go to a restaurant and have somebody else serve me. <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. But you made but it I for five days. I did. I made it for five days. I put two of the days on my Vegan Athlete YouTube channel, and the other three I'm editing still. But I'm going to do it again coming up here, maybe in about a month or two this spring or summer, and try to do a full week out of the yard and some every meal. Plus, it was just great that gardeners always want ideas of how to use their produce right. uh, for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. So, But it's really satisfying. I know that, Greg, I know you told me before that you always feel so good when you can do an entire meal 100% yeah. from the yard. I just I felt so good about doing a whole day from the yard. Yeah, that's epic, man. That is so cool. Let's start to unpack this notion of humanity's global future is local. What do you mean by that, Jake? You know, what I mean is that we have to start taking responsibility for the happiness, the health, and the well-being that we have as humans in this life. And so, now that sounds like a grandiose statement, so let me make it more specific. So I think that when you, we grow food at home in our front and backyard, uh-huh. initially, there's a learning curve. We have to learn how to make a fruit tree thrive in whatever climate that we're living in, whether it's Portland or Maine or New York or Phoenix. Uh-huh. Uh, once the tree can make it and it can thrive, we've got to get it to fruit, and then we have to have a plan of what to do with the fruits. And the same thing for a garden when we produce winter edible greens or summer tomatoes or sweet peppers. We've got to have a plan. Okay, what am I going to do with this food, and how am I going to use it to make my life uh, better and healthier? So uh-huh. a few things happen when you grow your food locally at your house. I'm talking about super local in your front and backyard, you know, 20 steps nice. from farm to table. Right. And what happens is that when you get into year two and you get into year three of growing, because year one, year two is kind of all like experimenting, figuring out how to, how to garden again because mm-hmm. humans have forgot. You know, we now know how to go to a corporate company and how to work a job and get a paycheck. 
we have to relearn how to be an animal of Mother Earth and grow our food because we've forgotten that trait. Mm -hmm. So the first year or two is having some fun and learning how to do things and probably killing some things in the process. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? That's how we learn. That's right. But once you get to year three, four, and five, your trees and your garden should start to become kind of like a living organism of its own. Mm -hmm. And when a handful of strawberries or, you know, or one salad turns into a, a full day of eating 100% from your yard, oh, then no turns kidding. into a full week of eating 100% from your yard, mm -hmm. you, you start to realize some powerful things that have global impact. Number one, you don't need to make as much money anymore. Oh, right. That's a big because one. Because your food budget is taken care of. Uh huh. And number two, you probably are going to be using less medications because your health and your your well-being has been elevated because eating a plant-based diet that comes from the yard is infinitely healthier than eating out at restaurants because restaurants don't have any interest in your well-being and health. They just want you to come back because the food is delicious. Right. Which normally means a lot of salt, a lot of fat. And when you're eating out of the yard, you get to choose what goes in your mouth and into your body and becomes your skin yourself. So, so your medications are decreased, your food budget's decreased, and you can now say, hey, if I don't want to work 60 hours a week, I don't have to. I can work 25 hours a week, have the same quality of life, and have an epic-looking garden in my front and backyard that looks beautiful. Nice. nice. So that's what I mean where the future of global is local. We can have global impact by eating a plant-based diet that comes from the front and backyard. Yeah. Perfect. And I contend that there's a couple other things here, too. First of all, if you're growing it yourself, you know what's in it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, you're, you know, you're not putting pesticides, herbicides, other chemicals in it unless you choose to do that. When I would highly suggest you not. And then the, the really the fourth piece to this is that the food's fresher, therefore it's more nutrient dense. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh my God, that's one of the main, there's probably two main things and you hit the nail on the head. Number one, you get to choose when the apple or the peach or the plum or the jujube or the mulberry or the edible flowers, you get to choose when they come off the plant, when they go into your mouth and it's at the ripest stage. So eat a sweet pepper uh, when it's red. Yeah. You know, don't eat it when it's green. The reason why you see green peppers in the stores is because that's when it ships the best. Right. The red pepper always costs a little bit more because it's going to go bad quickly, but it's the most ripe with the most amount of nutrients. And number two, everybody listening out there, this is 100% true for kids and adults. If you grow the food yourself and you put the hours of labor into the soil, into the tree, into the pruning, and into the, the food, you will eat more of it. When we oh, yes. take our credit card and go to the store and buy food from the store, we have no connection to it. I guarantee you you'll eat more kale than you've ever eaten before if you throw it in your backyard. <laughs> if you've grown it yourself, yeah. Well, and that's the same with kids. Um, you know, if you, if, you're, if you go out in your yard with your kids and plant a garden and they grow it, they always eat it. I have seen that over and over and over again. Exactly. And, you know, you know what, I had this happen the other day. I had my, uh, my little niece came over uh -huh. with grandma and they were eating some fast food and they brought their fast food bags over. They had, they were eating it on our counter. Oh my gosh, that's so bold. Within, I know, but within 30 seconds, I had the niece in the backyard in the garden and she was eating about 10 or 20 carrots fresh from the soil. There's nothing better than that, I'll tell you. 
and she totally forgot about the fast food. It went to waste, and she ate the carrots and the garden greens instead. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here and uh, ask you for three tips about how people can get started gardening. I know you have them in you. This wasn't a planned question. So you got three tips, like the first three things for somebody to do. Yeah, I can. I got some three that worked well for me. So the first thing is to plant something, something, something edible. Oh, yes. Um, people sometimes look at my yard nowadays. I'm in the I'm in the sixth year here of gardening at home since I bought my house in 2011. We're going on to the sixth year here. Wow. People look at my house now with over 200 trees and a pretty mature garden. They think, God, I'm so overwhelmed. But I say, hey, listen, back in 2011, I just planted one peach tree, one fig tree, and one pomegranate tree. I started there. And you will get such a rush from planting <laughs> a tree yourself, oh, big seeing time. it grow, protecting it, and then eating off of it that you'll want to plant more and more. So yeah. that's number one. So that, that, what happens when you plant something, just one or two things and you're successful, it kind of, I hear it kind of pulls you into the process. So you'd want to do it more. And that's the same with anything. If you go to the gym and work out a few days and you start getting a little bit of a six pack going on, you lose uh-huh. some weight, it gives you motivation to keep going back to the gym and gardening is the same thing. Yeah. Perfect. Number two. Number two, what I would say is definitely incorporate a lot of mulch and a lot of wood chips into your landscape. Oh, yes. Yes, there we go. And what, what, I, what I think is that there's a lot of tree trimming companies in town that need to get rid of wood chips that they've yeah. trimmed off of trees. You know, uh-huh. they put through a wood chipper. And when you start <clears throat> using mulch and wood chips now, whether it's on your landscape or whether it's on top of the root system of your edible trees, or even what I do is in the summertime in Phoenix, it's so hot. I put the wood chips on top of my soil, so not in my soil, but on top of the soil around my pepper plants to help them conserve moisture. And the reason why this is important to do as our number two thing is that as time goes on, 2011, from the 2012, from the 2013, and so on, now it's 2016, the wood chips I laid four years ago <laughs> are starting to turn into black, black, healthy compost. Incredible healthy soil. Compost. Yeah. Perfect. So, um, and for all our listeners out there in our show notes, we will have listed uh, another episode that Jake and I recorded specifically just about wood chips uh, here a couple of months back. So I'll go ahead and list that so people can go back and listen to that one as well. And uh, they can also go to YouTube and type in uh, Jake makes wood chips. I got a great video that actually Greg, you told me to make, and uh, it's one of my most popular videos. (laughs) Nice. Love it when that happens. Yeah. Love it when that happens. All right. Number three. Number three, I would say, is the way that Greg Peterson and I met was to uh, harvest the rainwater that hits your house. Oh, yes. This is uh, the first class, the first gardening class I took was with the urban the urban farmer, Greg Peterson. It was all about rainwater harvesting off the house. Yep. And I still am telling you that um, it rained in Phoenix here. Uh, it hadn't rained for about four months and just did a few days ago. Yeah, it was beautiful. And this morning... I watered over 30 fruit trees in my front yard with 100% rainwater. And the reason nice. why it's important is that that's totally free water. Right. It comes from the roof, and so it's really good for the planet to reuse that water on mm. edible fruit trees. Yeah. And it hasn't been treated with any chlorine or fluoride. It's like water from the heavens, <laughs> and it really will make your trees the healthiest possible. Literally water from the heavens. We'll take it. It is. So I think those three things, we talk about plant something now, just one thing and get started. 
Number two, uh, use wood chips and also use any kind of mulch, like leaves or hay or straw. Yep. And number three, I would say harvest the rainwater off your house. Perfect. You know, and this is one of the reasons I love working with you is because, you know, I literally put you on the spot there. You weren't expecting that. And you came up with, <laughs> with this perfect list. This is the list that I would do. So, yay. Well, we're... we're we're a little bit kind of like Yoda and Luke over here. You're the you're the experienced Jedi, and I'm the newbie. But, uh, oh, there you go. Thing. All right. Well, I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> so I want to connect this uh, the two topics. So humanity's global future is local. We talked a lot about that already. And three ways to ensure your fruit trees thrive. So for for the listeners out there that don't know me well enough yet, I love 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 fruit trees. I have about 80 fruit trees in the ground here at the urban farm. And I thought that was a lot until I started talking with Jake and Jake, how many do you have now somewhere over 200 fruit trees in your yard? Yeah, definitely over 200, but then we also have a lot of edible bushes yeah. and a lot of gardening, uh, a lot of rake beds too. Perfect. Well, and here's the, here's the other thing, your lot size and my lot size are pretty much the same. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so you've, over the years, you've planted a fair amount of, uh, fruit trees in your yard, you've done a really, really good job of making them thrive. So let's talk three ways to ensure your fruit trees thrive. Okay, the first one, to make sure the fruit trees thrive. This took me a few years to figure out, but I, I usually have a pretty good learning curve. So I'm starting to get this fruit tree thing that dialed in. We're getting a lot of growth this year, a ton of fruit, and I literally have probably 10 humongous bags of fresh mulberries freezing in the freezer right right now. So nice. Yeah, I want to make... These are the things that this year I've noticed. These are the three things that really have helped to make me a great gardener this year in 2016. Perfect. Go. Number one. So number one, the way that I water. The way that you water is very important for your fruit trees. Mm-hmm. And what you have to do is, right now, if it's safe to do so and you're listening to this podcast, uh, close your eyes and kind of just you know meditate a little bit. Take a deep breath in your nose and out your mouth, okay? I want you to do this when you're out in your garden and when you're watering. You have to close your eyes and connect with the tree and feel what or how much water does this tree need right now? Is it a baby tree or is it a mature tree, okay? A baby tree will need less water than a mature tree, but a baby tree will need need to be watered more frequently Uh than a big tree. So if your tree's enormous and mature, you might water it once a week, but a low, slow, deep water. Uh-huh. If it's a baby tree and you just planted it like in a three or five or a 15-gallon pot, you want to water it maybe twice a week, but flood it so that the entire root ball is flooded and then turn the water off. And when I use this method, I really have had a lot of success. I think that putting the water on very low and leaving it for hours and hours is not the best way to do it. It's to flood the entire root zone. Uh-huh and then walk away, let it uh, have a few days without being watered again, and do it again. So so more frequent water for young trees, a less frequent water for mature trees, but definitely make sure you're flooding that root system. So in both cases, a deep water. In both cases, a deep water. Just make sure that you're watering appropriately for the size of the tree that's in front of you, and right. you can uh, close your eyes and connect with nature in that way. So. I have a um, I have a star fruit tree in my front yard that just got to ten feet tall. My star wow. fruit. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I I noticed that if I overwater that, that tree, it starts to have yellow leaves and it talks to me. Oh. 
So a lot of gardeners can kill their trees by too much love, you know, uh-huh. too much water. Yeah, Make oh, yeah. sure you have just the right amount of water. Look at the leaves of the tree, uh, connect with the tree, and water the tree appropriately for the size that it is at this moment. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yes. Okay, number two. Number two, you have to feed your trees. Okay, and people have to realize that there's three things that are really important for trees. Number one, they need to have sun so they can photosynthesize. Right. Number two, they have to have water because they need to drink. But that's not all. There's a third very important component. They have to have food. And food for a tree is worm castings, compost, and mulch. Mm. And so number two for fruit trees, success, I would say, is to about three or four times a year, usually as we have the seasons change, like spring, summer, fall, and winter, uh-huh. I want you to go out there and till to the top one or two inches of soil, kind of till in, massage in some fresh compost and some fresh worm castings, and then add a little bit of leaves and wood chips on top and make a lasagna. Nice. And then every time it rains, oh. the rainwater is going to hit that compost, hit those worm castings, going to uh-huh. just kind of take it down into the tree, and the worms, the roly-poly bugs, the earwigs, all the bugs are going to take that good food into the tree's root system, mm-hmm. and that tree will show you how much it appreciates food <laughs> by giving you more fruit and healthier leaves. Perfect. And, and I get this picture of the trees in your yard just thriving because of this, right? And the first two years, that was not the case, exactly. So this has been a really big change the last couple of years that I've made, and my trees have instantly shown me results. It's mm-hmm. really amazing. Perfect. And number three? Number three. This is the hardest one for gardeners because we love our trees, we love our gardens, but prune your trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to cut those trees once in a while. I think that pruning your trees appropriately is one of the most powerful ways you can make them grow healthier, stronger, and fruit more. Okay, so let me tell you one example. For um, it's not a tree, but it's a vine. We grow. We have over twenty-five grapevines here. Uh-huh. That will be called Longevity Gardens. And last year, we were thinking, let the grapevines get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we'll have more fruit. But that's not the case. Grapevines will fruit more if they're pruned more. Yeah. So my wife Pam and I, uh, we went to Sonoma Valley and Napa Valley. We did some tours of some of some vineyards there. Uh, this last summer, and they told us how grapes grow fruit on the new growth. So if uh-huh. you prune them, you'll grow more grapes. We did that, and this year we have probably 20 or 30 clusters of grapes on each grapevine. Oh, wow. They're just loaded, more than they've ever been in the past. We've also pruned our apricot tree, our plum tree, uh, our mulberry trees, and our avocados, and they have just uh, been pushing off growth, a better structure, and uh, now more fruit than they've ever produced in years past. Nice. So when you say prune your trees appropriately, how, how does one go about understanding what that is? Well, I think there's a few things. Every gardener kind of has their own pruning methods. And uh-huh. I've, I've listened to a few of the experts, and I have kind of uh, used their outline and made my own thing. So number one, you want to get the fruit so it's reachable. Hmm, right. And when you have a tree that grows out of control, up, up, up toward the sky, fruit gets out of your reach. What happens is that the birds get all that food and you get none of it. Right. And so 
encourage the tree, try to encourage the tree to grow uh, kind of diagonal and more horizontal. Oh yes. And that way the fruit is always within your reach and mm-hmm. the tree will have a more of a, of a horizontal look. But for a fruit tree, that's what we want to get. Interesting. You, you mentioned that and I was at a friend of mine's house recently and he'd taken an apricot tree and the, the, the trunk of this apricot tree was thigh size and it was no taller than eight feet, but it was 40 feet wide. He'd actually trained wow. it, trained this apricot tree, so it pretty much covers the entire uh, uh, east wall of his house. It was one of the most amazing wow. things. And this was, I saw this in January, February, so it didn't have any leaves on it. So I'm looking forward to going back and go, going back over there and, uh, you know, seeing what comes next of it. Because he tells me he gets tons of fruit off of it every year. Well, it should be uh, middle of April here. It's about time to get the apricot season. So yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, you know, and that's not an accident that he did that. He consciously turned it that way. Correct? Yep, he did. Yeah, he knows mm-hmm. what he's doing. So you, you were going to give us three on the pruning uh, of your trees, and you gave us one. Fruit is reachable. Yeah. Right. I also do martial arts for a living. I train people in Tai Chi and Kung Fu. Uh huh. And I got a ton of YouTube videos. If you search my name on YouTube, Jake Mace. And with martial arts, it's the same thing as number two is pruning, and it's timing is key. So in a martial arts fight, the person with the best timing always lands the punch, right? And in pruning, the person who prunes at the right time of year always has the best fruit. Ah, okay. okay. And so I think that in Phoenix, what I find is that right when the summer temperatures break, when we, when we break out of 110 and we start going down into the hundreds, when we're around 105, 104, somewhere around there, that's a great time of year to prune the trees because mm. they're going to put off a flush of growth oh, yeah. as we go into the fall and winter season. So you want to prune them right after the summer temperatures break. It's called an end of summer pruning. Yeah, and Dave Wilson Nursery, the place where we get a lot of our fruit trees at, talks about a summer pruning. They're exactly right. And, yeah. they're, and, and, and they're the big boys. So you know, yeah, you listen. exactly. And the other time of year to prune is um, I find just as we're about to come out of the winter. So when the trees first start uh, budding out in the early, early spring, prune them right there. And then all the energy of the tree coming out of winter dormancy will go into growing fruit that's within reach. And you can prune it according to the shape that you want. Nice. And number three. Number three, I would say prune the tree for the microclimate that it's in. Yeah, this is probably one of the most important things home gardeners can learn is that your house right now has microclimates all over the house that Mm -hmm. are different than my house. So I put out, my wife got me a bunch of thermometers for Christmas. You know, she gave me a gift of thermometers. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, we we put one thermometer in, in every corner of the property. And what I found is that the corner of my house that's by my, by my fish pond, by the koi pond, was eight or nine degrees warmer. It got to 30, uh, 34 degrees out of the low, where 100 steps across the yard, it was 26 degrees. Oh, interesting. And so for Phoenix residents, eight degrees of difference can be <laughs> a big thing. It can, can mean the difference between a, you know, a mango or avocado tree uh, defoliating over the winter or staying healthy. Right. So when I prune trees that I need to be shade trees, I want to prune those trees so that they continue to provide shade for the smaller trees around them. Mm-hmm. 
So, for instance, I have an enormous mesquite tree that provides a lot of diffused light and shade and wind protection for about three different papaya trees. I have a lychee tree, mango tree, star fruit, and fig. Mm -hmm. And they all get wind protection and sun protection from this mesquite. So I always prune the mesquite in the appropriate way so that it gives a good canopy oh, for the, nice. for the yep. smaller trees. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, it doesn't crush them with its branches. Yeah. So everybody's yard is different. Learn the microclimates that are in your yard and prune the tree according to how you want it to exist in the microclimate that you planted it in. Perfect. There you go. Perfect. And I think, you know, for... I want to say at this moment that it's it's a learning process. People, you know, people ask me, well, how much should I water my tree or how much should I prune my tree? And it's a learning process. I can share with you and you can share with people about what you know, but then you have to go out and experiment about it. You have to go out and figure out it's gonna, what, what's going to work in your space with your trees. Exactly. So I want to say one thing about that. You know, I try to get along with everybody, but I've seen so many scientists and engineers and master gardeners who who still they fail at gardening because gardening is more of an art than it is a science yeah and for everybody out there listening you know you got to become an artist and eventually yeah. your edible landscape will look like a painting yeah exactly and whether it's watering whether it's right. feeding your tree or whether it's pruning those are all art forms that you have to go out and master and it takes time and effort yeah so I have an interesting question for you, and I get this question because I, I have a third of an acre that's primarily edible, and you have a third of an acre that's primary, primarily edible. So I know you get this question too, and that's how, how much time do you spend working in your yard? And people are shocked to find out when I say mm, two to three hours a week maybe. Uh, and that, that, is that the same for you pretty much? You know, I would say that could be accurate, but here's the thing. I kind of, I tend to lose track because <laughs> I, I have made the gardening thing, you know, a hobby. And so instead of going to the bowling alley or to the golf course or yeah. all those things that I used to do, I now spend it gardening. I don't think of it as, oh God, I put two hours today so far in the yard. I think of it as, hey, I get to go out and talk to the trees and yeah. feed the chickens and harvest some fruit and do what I call mono mealing, going out in the yard and grazing off one kind of food, just kind of eat a bunch of mulberries, have that be lunch. <laughs> nice. Or a whole bunch of kale and have that be breakfast. Yeah. Here's the question I want to ask you. You've been in your property now for five years. How has that changed? How has my property changed? How, is, how has it changed? Because if you're anything like me, when we first got here, we had to put a lot of time and energy into getting things the way you wanted them. Yes. What has happened in your space and in your yard over the past four or five years that, that assists you, that helps you, that makes your job easier? That's really the question I'm asking. Yeah, you know, I would say that's a, a good point is that in the beginning, I had to put a lot more time in the yard that, that I, that I actually do now because I was creating the infrastructure. I was creating microclimates. I was planting um, trees. I was building the raised beds. I was, I was trying to get the soil to my house, all the compost and worm casting. So now it kind of runs itself. And as long as I turn on the water every day, um, what happens is that uh, the plants are seeding themselves. Mm, yeah. And the food is, I mean, I have got over a hundred dill plants right now that are 12 feet tall. and I didn't plant any of them. Right. I love I've it when that happens. I've got a bunch of beets 
and carrots that are all in my garden. I didn't plant any of those. They're yeah. just popping up on their own. All of my chard and my arugula mm-hmm. and my kale. So I can go out and make the best salad or the best kimchi or the best stir fry in town. And it's all free because I didn't even have to plant it. It just came up on its own. So we're, we're starting to see that that um, the garden is becoming a living organism and a living being. Yeah. And it's starting to kind of be more alive than I am. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, what I have to say is that if you're thinking about how much time do I have to put in the yard, then you're approaching it from the wrong angle. You have to yeah. think about it. You know, what kind of tree will make me get up in the morning early and go to bed late because I love that tree? Yeah. And what food do I wish I could grow at home instead of having to go to the store and pay somebody else for it? Beautiful. So honestly, I lose track nowadays. Plus, what, <laughs> I've, done, what I've done with my um, with what I make uh, make a living is that I've turned almost every gardening project that I do in my yard into a YouTube video on my Vegan Athlete YouTube channel. Nice. So for the most part now, if, if I replant a raised bed or if I amend it with more worm casting or if I prune. Uh-huh. I'm always making a video with my wife Pam. She's a videographer and I'm the the I'm I'm the idiot in front of the camera. <laughs> and um and then I turn every gardening project into a educational video so that my YouTube audience can go and learn as well. Nice. So there's all kinds of ways that you can you can kind of make yourself in two places at once, and that way I don't feel like I'm wasting time in the garden. It's a, it's a pleasure to be at the garden. Yeah, exactly. And essentially what you're doing, and, and I've been studying this notion of permaculture for 25-plus years now, uh, or food foresting. Those are both terms of what you're doing in your space. You're practicing permaculture principles and building a food forest. Exactly. So, like right now, we have a bunch of moringa trees in our yard. Moringa is one of my favorite trees to plant. Oh yeah. My moringa trees now are over twenty feet tall, and they shade my house during the during when the sun's out. So uh-huh. it drops my air conditioning bill. And when I first moved into this house, this has a small house in a nineteen seventy neighborhood, mm-hmm. and the sun was just baking it like an oven. Yeah. And now the trees keep my entire front of my house completely shaded until about you know 1 p.m. Right. It's fantastic. And then when the trees lose their leaves in the wintertime, sun shines through and warms the house. So it's a great way to live. You're kind of living with the trees and the permaculture is uh, getting, my permaculture game, Greg, is getting stronger every year. Nice. And that's that's really my point of this this line of questioning with you is that the more systems that you put in place, the easier it becomes. You know, I just went over to my brother-in-law's house. His name is Justin. He lives in Chandler, and we just uh, planted uh, four moringa trees in his yard that are about one foot tall. Oh, nice. And he almost looked at me disappointed because he sees my trees that are 20 feet tall. And uh-huh. goes, I thought you were going to bring over a mature tree. And I said, Justin, I said, just wait. This one foot tree in one year will become 15 feet tall. Yeah. Yes. And before you know it, you know, 2017 will come around next year, and he'll have a 15 foot tree in his yard because those moringas grow so fast. So right. invest in your gardening infrastructure now, put uh-huh. a little bit of work in, and it will pay you off. We have, as humans, as the global community, we've gotten too much in the mindset of we have to invest in the stock market. Right. Or we have to invest in gold, or we have to invest in a company. But we forgot that we can invest in ourselves. And if you invest in a garden, if you invest in a tree, if you invest in your own health and you work out and you eat a healthy plant-based, you know, plant-based diet, 
in 5, 10, 20 years from now, that investment will pay you back in spades because you'll still be healthy and those trees will be mature and your AC bill will be lower. <laughs> it's just a great way to live and I'd much rather invest in myself than into a company yeah. I have no connection with. Yeah, there you go. And I was, that, that answers the question in retrospect, that answers the question, what one piece of advice do you have for our listeners? So invest in yourself. I love that. I have, you know, I'm, I'm only 34 years old, but um, for some reason when I got into my 30s, uh -huh. that, really, that fact um, always resonates hard with me is invest in yourself, yep. whether it's fitness, health, education, or garden, or solar panels on your house, and it will pay you back. Education, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, education, exactly, education. I have one more question, and I know, I know I've asked this of you before, but I want you to, I want to revisit it, and that is what drives you. You know, what drives me, I think, is the word uh, balance. I think that I'm in the martial arts, you know, uh, full-time. I've been doing martial arts since I was a teenager. I've been teaching full-time Tai Chi and martial arts for over 15 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, people always bring Bruce Lee up around me, a Bruce Lee quote or a Bruce Lee, you know, uh, philosophical saying. Uh -huh. And every quote from Bruce Lee is very much go, go, go. Like you have to, you know, constantly train and, and all this stuff. And Bruce Lee died at 32 years old. You know? mm -hmm. So I think that the word of balance is more important than, than, than drive and ambition. I think try to find a way to achieve a perfect, a perfect balance in your life, whether that's with relationships, yep. whether that's with fitness and health, with whether work? that's with your kids and your family, whether that's with, with your job and yep. work or with your goals. Yeah. And the way that I have achieved my balance is that I made one of my goals, instead of being a professional golfer on the PGA Tour, which I wanted to do at one point, <laughs> I, I made that goal. I want to produce 100% of the food that I need to exist with my wife, Pam, at my house on my third of an acre on a very small, normal neighborhood. Yeah. And so now I'm, I achieve my balance by planting one more tree or pruning a tree or feeding a tree or watering a tree or harvesting those fruits that are sometimes it's hard to harvest because it's, uh, it's a little, little labor intensive, but it's, but it's fun at the same time. So for me, if I have a stressful day or a stressful week or I have a conversation with a stressful human, uh -huh. I, I achieve my balance by going out into the garden, <laughs> taking a deep breath and allowing the trees to heal me, you know, both with their presence and with their food. Yeah, perfect. So I think that what drives me is always trying to live a life that achieves a perfect balance, and I do that with gardening, with growing gardening. food at home. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm, I think we're going to wrap it up there. So thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us once again, Jake. I so appreciate it. So please tell us how, your, how our listeners can get a hold of you, can find you, can uh, listen to your videos, watch your videos. Where do we do that at? You know, people have been uh, finding me on Facebook at my Urban Gardening in Arizona Facebook group. Uh -huh. We're adding about, uh, you know, several hundred new followers every week to that group. We have we have a couple thousand that follow us, and they've been telling me they've been hearing about me on your podcast. Nice. That's, that's they can wonderful. They also uh, go to my, my name.com. Go to, go to jakemace.com, and they can um, join my online gardening school for five bucks a month, or they can go to youtube.com slash athlete. And that's what I call myself. Or just do a search on YouTube for Jake Nace Gardening, and you'll find me. And those are the best ways. Facebook, Urban Gardening Group, Vegan Athlete YouTube, or JakeMace.com. JakeMace.com. Very good. You know, 
if well, they want to they want to see what I do every day, I'm also on Instagram at Jake Makes Tai Chi. That's a very good way to to find out what I'm doing day by day at Jake Makes Tai Chi on Instagram. Perfect, perfect. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.